This past summer, my husband and I traveled to visit my family in France. As we arrived at the house, everyone was out in the front yard under the beautiful thick trees, waiting to greet us with the usual French kisses on the cheek, for which my American husband had had to practice in advance. Sporting her favorite floral apron, my great-aunt came forward to welcome us and, completely unexpectedly, went straight towards my stomach, grabbed it with both hands and exclaimed, Oh, mon Dieu, but you have great news to share. When is this little one due? Now, this would have been a very sweet moment if I, in fact, had been pregnant and not in need of a better diet and more exercise. My aunt's faux pas was only the most explicit of many other, more tactful attempts by our family and friends to ask us about kids that summer. We'd gotten married, bought a house, were turning 29 and 32 respectively this year. Of course, we must be thinking about kids, right? Now, I'm a millennial and a feminist, so I'm not going to listen to anyone telling me what to do with my body. But we do happen to want kids. So ever since this trip, I've been thinking about this non-stop. Not should we or should we not have kids, but could we? Like, if we wanted to, and we're lucky enough to, could we have kids right now? As a current PhD student, I never even thought this could be a possibility. I've always thought, after, kids will happen after the PhD. But the more I'm learning about academia and tenure-track jobs, the more I'm realizing that the after might actually not be the best time to have kids either. Heavy teaching loads, constant publishing, frequent relocations, uncertain benefits situation, discriminatory work environments. Would now be a better time? Hi, I'm Mathilde Soquet. I'm a PhD student at Princeton University in the Department of Art and Archaeology. And this is Herding Cats, a podcast about women in academia. With me today are my co-hosts. I'm Tori Hoover. I'm a dual PhD candidate in English and Comparative Media at Vanderbilt University. Hey, I'm Maya Delmond. I'm a PhD candidate in American Studies at the University of Kansas. Hi, I'm Serena Bazemore. I'm a PhD candidate in Public History at North Carolina State University, as well as the Executive Director of the Duke Center for Jewish Studies. These questions about kids in academia are something my co-host Tori is also thinking about, isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't have kids, and I'm not sure if or when I will. Maya has a 20-month-old baby, and Serena has a 10-year-old. And I've been debating children myself. Right. So questions of motherhood within academia are pertinent for all of us, especially because both Maya and Serena have daughters. And so we thought it'd be interesting to hear from this wide range of perspectives. Right. And, and so the very first thing I asked about actually was, you know, what were your thoughts about this issue more broadly? Uh, because I thought it was so great to be able to discuss it with a small group of women. And that actually led to a discussion of the importance of community. Yeah, I think I think it's probably not as hard as I think, um, but also 
that doesn't mean it's easy by any stretch. Like, I think it's doable is the way that I see it. And I didn't know that it was. And of course, it's so dependent on whether your partner is able to help you with this or not. Um, and whether you're, you know, whether the institution itself is really supportive. Um, like I know, Maya, you said that you had maternity leave as a graduate student, which is something I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I had six weeks of leave as a GTA and six weeks of leave as a, I mean, concurrent um, as a student. And I actually didn't know that either uh, until after I had my baby um, and I was emailing with the graduate advisor in our program who's a staff person and she mentioned to me that I had this leave and luckily the chair of our department also at that time was a mother and the two of them were so encouraging uh receiving my frantic emails sleepless emails that I'm sure made no sense um but they just took care of it all for me um you know, all I had to say was, yes, I want to do this. And, and, you know, then I had six more weeks uh, with my kid um, without having to worry too much about school. I've definitely throughout my career relied on the support of, of female, you know, community, um, women who are able to give the space for me to fail and then help me and then make that better. Um, or women who are able to understand that, you know, something might not get done in a specific time period, um, or women who really value what I do and are willing to give me a voice. Um, you know, sometimes those opportunities don't, don't always seem to materialize in, in the uh, patriarchal world. For me, having friends who are not in academia and staying in touch with like a variety of moms has helped me keep perspective because everybody's career, everybody's body, everybody's family is impacting their experience so much. And so to kind of zoom out of the particular issues that I'm having as a grad student and just, um, you know, feel solidarity with women in various ways has has helped me uh, lessen my doom. This is a shout out, not just to other moms out there, but also dads and, you know, non-traditional families as well. The one thing I've noticed in academia is people are super supportive of your family. Um, you know, the people who your colleagues, when you go abroad or whatever, they want to know what they can do. Can they bring toys? Can they help you out? Can, you know, there might be a grandma who can actually watch somebody while you're giving your conference paper. And like, I mean, people are just pretty encouraging in that way, I think, because a lot of them went through it. And especially the women, I think, really want to hold up other women knowing how difficult this can really be. I think I've always considered kids as something where there's never really a good time or a bad time for it. There's better times and worse times and, you know, things you can do uh, for others to support them. We also spoke at length about the difficulty of timing, both in terms of kids and in terms of career milestones and expectations. One of the things that is just implicitly difficult is the biological clock. Right. I mean, you're always fighting against that and you're always fighting against uh, the tenure clock. 
there's this book called Mothers in Academia. It's by uh, Marie Castaneda and uh, Kirsten Iskro. And one of the things that they say, right, is that like over 50% of the people getting PhDs are women, but 38% of tenured faculty are female. Especially when you have doom around the job market or around, you know, just like encountering a problem in my project and feeling low about it and kind of like, what am I doing? And then you're like, oh, is it worth it what I'm doing to my daughter? Or is it worth it what I'm putting my family through if this might not even work out? You know, I do remember like one moment of running a postdoc search um, in the middle of my maternity leave. And I had, you know, Gabriella on my hip and I'm on the phone and I'm trying to coordinate this call to Germany for an interview. And I just like lost it like entirely. <laughs> my research requires a lot of travel abroad. Uh, I can be gone for months at a time. Most people in my program, you know, the expectation is you're going to be abroad for a year, for two years, for three years. And this is what I've done so far in the last three years. You know, I've been gone for sometimes three or four months at a time. Um, this is not something I could do if I had a child now. Do I get all my travel out of the way now? Or, you know, do I just wait until, you know, this is all over and the dissertation is submitted? This is definitely something that's like a, a big question mark for me. I mean, the experience of traveling with a, a especially a infant or a toddler, I mean, you have to think about the pack and play, where they're going to sleep. You have to think about where they're going to eat. You know, you can't really bring a high chair with you. And then, you know, you have to think about, well, how many diapers do I bring until, you know, when's the first opportunity I'm going to have to get to the store to buy more diapers or <laughs> when I'm there. Um, so there's a lot more. Uh, to pay attention to when you're packing and then and it it gave me a little bit more excitement about my time in the archive too because it was the first time that I had really been away from my daughter all day long um, and certainly for days in a row that was the first time that we were really apart and it just woke up that nerdy side of me again in a way that I hadn't been able to do because I have been spending, you know, maybe I would get half an hour of work in here and, you know, 45 minutes of grading in on the Canvas app on my phone while she's napping or holding her or breastfeeding or whatever. But to have that whole day where I was deep in my project and deep in my research, it was awesome. Do we think there is a way to institutionalize this you know, these resources of this support coming from the institution, you know, especially when it comes to traveling, you know, if it's, I don't know, extra funding to have a babysitter on site or extra funding for an extra plane ticket, you know, extra funding uh, for a bigger accommodation once we get wherever you're going or, you know, anything like this, if, if it means your child stays behind with your partner, you know, but needs longer hours at daycare, you know, this, I mean, it all comes down to money uh, a lot of the time, not always. I wonder if there's a way for our institutions, you know, our fields or whatever to take on this burden a little bit. Yeah, I actually, I applied for a grant, like one of the kinds of grants where you have to detail your expenses and then it goes through whatever office of the university. And I actually asked like, 
is childcare, you know, where's the spot for childcare? Do I put that in other? And I was told, no, that doesn't, you can't include that. We actually convene um, a monthly seminar in Jewish studies for works in progress. And we do offer babysitting um, for anyone who needs it uh, to come to the seminar. And also if they want to attend the dinner afterwards, just because um, people need to be able to attend those things and have time off. And even that's not enough, right? Like the person who's having to give the paper and things like that, um, you know, probably needed more time to prepare. And, and obviously I can't do anything about that, but institutionalizing those things are super, super important. I also think it's an argument for having more uh, more just like lump sum grants where you don't have to specify exactly what it's for because we all have different needs and we all need more money, you know, for whatever it is. And those kind of like refund models just leave you broke for a long time. But yeah, I was told, no, the university won't consider childcare as an expense. There, there are probably a lot fewer men who are agonizing about like, what if I'm a dad while I'm like, you know, researching stuff, um, which again, just kind of goes back to that, like, uh, to that idea of like, the inequities of caregiving and everything like there was a study at Georgia Tech of 10,445, uh, like academics worldwide, and women academics were eight times as likely to say that they were the primary caregivers in their family, like 30% to, to less than 4%. And also became clear that issues of reproductive rights were really impacting the way we were thinking about motherhood within the academy. You know, all these issues are interconnected between, um, it, between like your state legislature to your institution to your own like dynamic with your partner. You know, right at the beginning of my pregnancy is when the six-week ban went into effect in Texas. And then I remember I was 15 weeks pregnant when the Dobbs oral arguments were happening. And there was this whole line of questioning in there about 15, 16 weeks gestation. And I was just listening to it like, wow. So I think especially in terms of as a teacher, it was important to me to um, not be pregnant, not be out about my pregnancy until I needed to be, because I really value the conversations that I'm able to have with my students about um, the issues that are affecting their day-to-day -day life politically, historically. And some of those conversations are about abortion, and I just didn't want to bring my own pregnancy into the scene on that. So it was a really weird time too. I was, I felt really uncomfortable about people, you know, using language like baby, um, just with everything going around. It's so interesting that the state that we're in, right, the physical state that we're in in the U.S. is going to have such an impact on our experience. And then beyond that, you know, how much the institution we're at is also going to have an impact and what the benefits you can get through your own university, a free healthcare country. So of course, you know, this enrages me. Um, and this is what I think about all the time. Should I go back to France to have my kids and then come back? Because here, no matter what, I mean, it's going to be an unknown. I'm in a state where it's not possible to obtain an abortion. And so if something were to go wrong, it would be really difficult to manage this, especially in terms of like, oh, you need to be on campus this many days for your teaching and something like that. The day of the Dobbs decision, 
was the day that I had scheduled to uh, get off of my birth control because I was like not enjoying the side effects. And I went into the health center and she was like, you need to get an IUD today because it's going to be like, it's going to be a really, cr really crowded in here <laughs> for the next couple weeks. And if we can't even be sure that our university is going to take our side or is going to be able to take that step to protect us, like this puts us at, you know, tremendous physical, you know, health risk um, that other companies are now stepping up to the task and, and you know, protecting their employees. And so I wonder if we should have the same expectations of, of our institutions. You know, I think it's really incumbent on institutions to really support the women um, the who are in their spaces. Um, I actually in uh, 2014 traveled to Oregon and I had a miscarriage. And because of the type of insurance that I carry at Duke, um, when I went to the emergency room, it turned because I wasn't admitted, it was not considered an emergency and they didn't want to pay for it. Right. So like, you know, female bodies are are being circumscribed both like physically, right, in terms of Dobbs, um, but then are also being circumscribed through cash flow and lack of access to health care. And obviously I am a ridiculously privileged individual, but even me, it was, you know, these are things that are, are inequitable, um, especially for women in academia. We've heard a little bit about what it's like to be a mother in academia, but what's it like to have a mom in academia? To find out, Serena sat down with her daughter, Gabriella. Hi, I'm Gabriella Bazemore. This is my mom, Serena Bazemore. Wait, how old are you, Gabriella? I'm 10 years old. My birthday is October 12th, and I was born in 2013. And can you tell us what grade you're in? I am in fourth grade but next year I'm going to be in fifth. So um, can you tell us a little bit, tell our, our listeners about what do you think I do? You work at Duke in Jewish Studies, and I think you write a lot of papers. Yeah. And you bring in people to speak for, well, bring in people like the prime minister. Well, the, the old prime minister of Israel. Yeah. And you brought in that one author from a book about talking whale. About talking whales. Yeah. And don't you... And I have students. Oh, yeah. You have students. And aren't you a student yourself? I am a student now. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I've gone back for a PhD in public history. That was That's good of you to remember. <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up? Do you know yet? Have you thought about it? I've thought about it a lot. So first one is astronaut because I want to go to the International Space Station with one of my best friends. Wow. And discover life on Mars. Okay. <laughs> and the second one is being a paleontologist and finding a whole new different dinosaur as a different species. Yeah. And, or I'll be an engineer... Yeah. yeah, I'm guessing. 
definitely need to go to graduate school to be an astronaut or a paleontologist. (laughs) There are some places where you can get an engineering degree from undergrad, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. But graduate school is a lot more work, right? Do you ever want to be a mama someday? I do. I exactly want. But if I get more or less, I'm fine with that. I want to have two children, and I'm hoping for a boy and a girl. But if it's a girl and a girl or a boy and a boy, I'm perfectly fine. What do you think? Do you think it would be hard to be, like, traveling at the International Space Station, but also trying to be a mama? I think it would be hard, but if I'm not an astronaut and I'm a paleontologist, don't they do paleontology around the world? Uh Uh-huh. I could take my kids sometime if it's in, like, summer. I could take my kids on summer break and bring them to, let's say, Asia. And why do you think that's possible? Have you done that with me? I haven't done that with you yet. We have not gone to Asia, but we have gone to Europe and... Isn't Israel technically Yeah. in Asia? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we've gone to Europe. Yes. Yeah. Oh, fun During fact. the summer. Yeah. What's something cool that you've been able to do with Mama during what when she's working? What, has there been anything that's been... That you're glad about that I'm I work where I do. Did you enjoy Israel? Yes, I love. What'd it. you do there? I got to see the Dead Sea Scrolls with Professor Brettler. Mm-hmm. Professor Brettler, and we also got to go to this museum. So, Which do you is think you want to go Scrolls. into academia when you? Do you think you want to teach? I mean, if you had your PhD in paleontology, would you want to teach other people? Or what would you want to do? I mean, you want to go out and be discovering things? Yeah, but if that doesn't work out and I should be more of a staying in place person, but we can also go and travel. I'm thinking if I get a PhD in one of those, I could be a teacher for one of those because I sometimes play like these fun little games (laughs) while I'm taking a Okay, no personal information. <laughs> I'm taking a bath. Okay. And I play these games that I'm teaching. <laughs> yeah, so I might want to be a teacher. Do you think it's hard to be a mama in academics? You know, I spend a lot of nights away and I have a lot of weekends where I have, have seminars that I, yeah, and I have school and classes. So, do you think it's harder to be a mama since I, you know, it's hard to be away from you a lot of times, but I think it's a lit. I think it's hard, but you get to go around like you're at least like an hour away. You can <laughs> You usually get back home before my bedtime. I do try to get home, yeah. But sure. even if you don't, you come in, give me a kissy. So you think it's okay? Even though mamas work hard. I think you are doing really good. And (laughs) I think that you're okay. (laughs) Definitely. Well, Gabriella, thank you so much for agreeing to be on this podcast. And we uh, look forward to your great discoveries either in space or somewhere uh in a dig yeah somewhere around the world looking for dinosaurs okay thank you you're welcome
there's a fine balance, right? Like this, I'm an over planner and I'm always anticipating the million steps and the logistics and the, you know, I'm like counting for like backwards. Like if I have a kid, you know, X year, it means that year before I need to do this and then year, year before I need to do this, my research, my travel. But at the end of the day, like if I were to have a kid now, I would figure it out, you know, if, if we want to have them right now. So yeah, I think maybe this is important for us, for, you know, our, listener, our listeners to, to remember as well as our capacity as people, but especially as women, I think, to adapt and to make things work and to step up to the plate, you know, and if our institutions and our, you know, circumstances or legislatures, you know, can support us as we do this, you know, this is what we want and to have those systems in place. Um, but we're, you know, our most resourceful entity, I think, in this equation. I will tell you, Matilda, if you are waiting for the perfect time to have baby, it's never going to happen. And children are extremely unpredictable. <laughs> That's it for today's episode of Herding Cats. Our deepest thanks go to the National Humanities Center specifically to its amazing staff that helped facilitate this week, and to our fellow Winter 2024 participants. Thank you for making this episode possible. Thank you also to everyone who helped contribute testimonies when we asked for them. And thanks to you for tuning in. No, no, I know. I, yeah, I know we are. I just, I didn't mean anything by that. Oh, I just, no, no, no. I just was, was trying just to make like, it sound that way in the yeah. verbiage. No, no, no. I wasn't worried about that. <laughs> yeah, I did not mean to take it no. at all. I just, uh, it was more of a staging the story. But This is such a women in academia conversation, too, because a man would be like, and these are my guests. I'm in <laughs> charge of the episode. <laughs>